Stealing money from bank vaults has always been the stuff of hit films. But when it comes to stealing digital money, the dramatics is hardly at the same level. First of all, how do you steal ones and zeros? It's basically hacking into a system, siphoning the money off, and then the actual accounts shows the deficit, which isn't the stuff that exciting plots are made of. First post in today's episode. First, he stole hundreds of millions. Then, he returned it. And to top it off, the company he stole from offered him a job as head of security, no less. It was a heist like no other. Crypto valued at over 600 million was siphoned off from one of the exchanges. This is where things get interesting. Unlike robberies in the real world, where there are fences to help launder the ill-gotten riches, crypto is harder to launder. When the money is transferred out, the exchange can see where it goes and it's much harder to make the money vanish. The next day after the money went missing, the exchange put out a request for the person involved to return the money. Strangely enough, he did. Turns out that he was angry that the exchange had not patched the security holes he had pointed out. It was one of those obscure things that hackers seem to specialize in. Find ways to enter virtual entry points few people have a clue about. The transfer created an avalanche of media attention because the sum involved made the hacker nervous. He got in touch with the crypto exchange and, in a series of tranches, returned most of the money. Then, they offered him a reward for $500,000 for being a nice guy. That is, of course, a far cry from $600 million. But this was legit money. And to top it all off, they've made him a job offer since they think that he probably is the best one to guard the crown jewels. How's that for unusual job applications? These crypto stories get weirder all the time. On to the next post. The first problem for companies is to get customers. The second is to lock them in, which is a much harder thing to do because customers are always looking for the next best thing or the next big thing. How often do you empty your promotions tab on Gmail? Once a week? Once a month? Whenever you remember? Companies are looking to lock in customers through passive means. I used to glance at the promotions tab to see if the emails were piling up and every week or so select all emails and delete. Then I found that even when I selected all the emails, about 50 would not be deleted unless I did it again. Another glitch was that the promotions tab notification would show only 50 emails, but when you open the tab, there were more than 300 emails. Yahoo Mail doesn't like you downloading emails to a desktop client. I found that the sync was blocked and I had to log into the site. And that meant showing ads as long as I stayed logged in. Though Yahoo now gives you one terabyte and you will probably take decades if not years to fill it all up. Gmail suggests that you archive emails instead of deleting them altogether. Playing on your fear of deleting some important email that's gone forever. Somehow that works. 
Occasionally, driven by a burst of spring cleaning enthusiasm, I would go and look for old emails with large attachments and then delete them one by one. But it is tedious and Gmail knows it. Laziness is the best way to get compliant customers to cough up money year after year. So far, however, I've kept it down to less than 50% below the limit. One of life's satisfying cheap thrills. What is yours? And the final post in this episode. First, you had TVs, then you had smart TVs. Now you have TVs which are just getting too smart for our own comfort. Looted Samsung TVs don't work. It happened in South Africa. During the recent riots, there were break-ins at major showrooms and TVs were looted. Samsung has built an anti-theft module into the TVs so that they are disabled remotely. The technology now comes preloaded on all Samsung products. It's one way the company supports its retail network because if the TVs don't work, the motivation to steal them drops dramatically. Another line has been drawn by compulsion between buying a product and having control over it. In this case, it works in the customer's favor. But there could be a situation where programs and channels are blocked off based on the commercial arrangements between the TV manufacturers and broadcasters. Remember the infamous Blu-ray DVDs that were region-specific and would not play on normal DVD players? All of this starts with good intentions and requirements, but then the connections create new opportunities as well. Samsung's smart TVs are probably the biggest TV ad network in the world. But that fact is not given too much prominence because it could have negative effects. This is promoted only through business channels and generates good revenues for Samsung. Smart TVs were only supposed to make viewing smarter for consumers and not become an information collection point or use for customer targeting. The moment there is two-way traffic and a network, the game changes. IoT will not be a boon just for customers. As usual, other market dynamics will come into play. Every week, I'll plant a few ideas in your mind on branding, behavior and markets. Triggers for your thoughts. Spread the word to your friends. All you have to do is click the link and enter an email address. And yes, I'd love to hear from you, your comments, your views and any thoughts that you have on adding to this episode. As always, thank you for listening.